Thanks for taking some time to listen to this message on the Elevate Church podcast. We believe that God will speak to you wherever you are. Now, let's prepare our hearts and hear what God has for us today. Well, hey, everyone tuning in. I want to welcome you to Church Online today. My name is Colby. I'm the pastor at Elevate Church. And whether you're in your home or you're, you know, gathering together with friends and family or maybe you're outside Today, we want to say how honored we are that you would share uh, this time with us this morning as we gather together around God's Word. Before I dive into our second week in this series called Better on the Other Side, uh, I want to talk about something. I've been asked a lot recently by people both inside the church and really outside of our church what I think about the President's declaration of churches being essential and what is our plan to reopen. First of all, the church has never closed. Come on, you need to know that. Our buildings may have become irrelevant during this pandemic, but church isn't a building, it is people. In fact, I could make the argument that in many ways, the church is thriving now more than ever. And something that I've learned through all of this is that nothing, absolutely nothing can stop the church that Jesus intended. Matthew 16, 18 says, upon this rock, I'm gonna build my church and the gates of hell will not stand against it. The church has survived through some incredible persecution over the last 2,000 years and it is still advancing, come on. And we've continued to gather at a distance. We've continued to engage in God's word, to worship together, to connect in living rooms and Zoom rooms for the last 10 weeks or so and to serve our city like crazy with over a 1,000 pancake breakfasts being given out, 230-something boxes of grocery hope for Erie. So we have never stopped seeing the church as anything other than essential. And we have never stopped seeing the church as anything other than being open. But the version of what we call church in our Western society, can I tell you something? That can be stopped. The cafe and comfy seat or the the light show that is devoid of any kind of substance. The brick and mortar place that the average person attends 1.8 times a month according to recent studies that we go when it fits into our busy schedule. Can I tell you something? That version of church, that can be stopped. When church becomes nothing more than a destination, we are in trouble. And so I wanna be very clear today that one version of church can be stopped because it is a destination, but the other version that is committed to the Great Commission, to reaching the lost, to helping the hurting, a community of growth and action, not just getting fat on knowledge and never exercising any of that knowledge out, but the church that Jesus intended to spread the life-giving message of hope, the gospel around the world, I dare you, no, I double-dog dare you to try to stop that church. Are you with me? So as we move forward as a nation and as the church of Jesus toward what the future looks like from here, my prayer is that we would learn and we would grow from this season that we've been through, that we would strip away perhaps the non-essentials and maybe even ask ourselves some hard questions, like has my version of church been stopped? Has it become a destination, or is it really this life-giving community of transformation? Because the church that Jesus envisioned, the church that he established and gave his life for was never a place but a people. 
Come on, it's people loving God and people loving others. And church, can I tell you, you've done that so well in this season. And we're about to have another opportunity to serve in a big way. I know I've told you before that the Convoy of Hope truck is coming and then it had to get put on delay. Well, it's coming again. And so we are praying and hopeful that this week it's going to arrive and you're gonna hear a lot about the ways that we are gonna show love in this city really soon. So I'm excited about today's message. I'm gonna dive in. If you have a notebook or if you have your Bible, go ahead and grab that out. If you're a note taker, if you're not a note taker, hey, start today. Come on, let's go. How many of you know we live in a world where there is no end to the amount of information that is available, but it's not all accurate, is it? And in a season where we are inundated right, with media, this news, that news, or, or this, this season of, of division and polarization, I personally feel like we are becoming more divided as a nation uh, and not more united. So we need some wisdom to navigate all of this. And here's what I believe. If you will grab a hold of this teaching today, it will help you gain wisdom for the rest of your life. Here's our foundational verse, Proverbs 4, 7 says, wisdom is supreme, though it costs you all you have, get understanding. So wisdom is supreme. This was written by King Solomon, who was the wisest man to ever walk the earth next to Jesus. He was arguably the wealthiest man who ever lived. He had unlimited resources. He had whatever that he wanted. And he said the number one thing is the supreme thing that he's found out of all of it is that you would get wisdom. Like wisdom is more important than anything else that he had. How many of you know that if you get wisdom, it will help you in your resources? It'll help you in your relationships. It will help you in your career and in your decision making. Wisdom is key. In fact, if you wanna become better on the other side, we have to understand that wisdom is supreme. And so I wanna share with you today something that's found in 10 of the 31 Proverbs. I personally believe it is the one thing, just one thing, if you'll get a hold of this and make it essential to your life, I'm not saying this one thing is easy, uh, but if it becomes a part of your life, it's the one thing that will help you gain wisdom for the rest of your life. Are you ready for it? You wanna know what it is? Are you on the edge of your seat? Are you on the edge of your bed maybe? That could be awkward, I don't know. It's this that you would be teachable, teachable. I'm calling this message, you can't grow without it. You and I can't grow, you and I can't get better on the other side and become all that God wants us to become unless we are teachable. Here's what the Bible says in Proverbs 10:8: The wise are glad to be instructed, but babbling fools fall flat on their faces. The wise are glad. They are almost hungry for it. The wise people are like, please, 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 come on, give me some more instruction. The wise people are going, come on, PC, just, just come on, one more message, just preach 15 more minutes. These are the wise people who are watching today. No, I'm kidding. But the wise, it says, are glad to be instructed, but babbling fools, they fall flat on their faces. So to have wisdom, you have to be teachable. And by the way, not teachable like, oh, if I have to you know, sit through this and listen to this, then I will. No, there's something in wise people that are like, I'm hungry for it. They're glad when they get instruction. And the Bible says if you're going to be wise, there has to be something inside of you, right, that wants to receive 
this teaching, something that goes, I, I need this in my life because I want to get better on the other side. And you're not gonna get better on the other side unless you can be taught. And one of the saddest things to me is whenever people you know, don't want instruction because you stop growing in the place where you've stopped receiving instruction. And I personally believe that when you're done growing, like you're done. When you're done advancing, when you're done expanding your thinking and grading, gaining greater understanding and gaining more and more wisdom, when you're done doing all that, you're kind of like, you know, I just don't want to grow anymore. Well, then you're just done. And listen, I know there are some 38-year-olds who are stuck at 25 because they quit growing. They quit being able to receive instructing instruction. They were not teachable. And so I think there are three categories of, of babbling fools, as Solomon wrote. I know that strong language is not my words, but if we were being honest, at some point in our life, we've all been through these categories. And listen, we don't wanna get stuck in these. And we've all gone through them. Maybe not those of you watching today. I mean, you are the people that have tuned in on Memorial Day weekend, so you obviously love Jesus. You're hungry for it. You were probably already up praying for a few hours this morning. You've been fasting, and you're ready to receive the word of God. But I'm just saying to the other people that aren't you know, there yet, that might fall into one of these categories, check it out. Here's the first one. That's the know-it-all. Of course, that's not you. But the know-it-all, right? If, if they're with you, if they're sitting next to you and watching online, don't elbow them right now. Just look straight at the screen or look down. I want you to have a good rest of your day. But Proverbs 28, 26 says this, that those who trust their own insight are foolish, but anyone who walks in wisdom is safe. If you trust in your own insight, you're foolish. In other words, God is telling us through his word that no one knows everything about everything. You just don't. And so you gotta have a posture in your heart that goes, I don't know it all. And because I don't know it all, then I need to gain instruction and I need to be glad when I get instruction. Now real quick, I'm not saying that you get instruction from anybody. Obviously it has to be from the right people. Uh, I've told you in the past that you don't listen to your critics, right? You listen to your coaches. Your critics are people that wanna tell you what's wrong with you, they just wanna poke at you, they wanna tear you down, and it's often because they are feeling deficient in some area of their own life that they wanna tear down your life. Your coaches are the people that love you, and they want you to get better on the other side. Listen, if there are people in your life today that don't want you to get better on the other side, that don't want you to grow, that don't want you to develop or, or mature, can I tell you something? You don't need them on this side. Right? If you don't want me to get better on the other side, then I don't need you on this side. Or even in your workplace, if you don't want our team to grow and to become better on the other side, I don't need you on this side. Which, by the way, this is why you need to be in a small group. You need to be around people that love you, that want to get uh, that wants you to get better on the other side, that wants you to grow, that wants you to advance, but it's the know-it-all that says, no, I figured it out already, that I don't need to know anything else. And we've all encountered the know-it-all at one point or another, and again, if we're being honest, we've probably all been that person at some point in our life. You don't wanna be the know-it-all. They are not teachable. The second kind of person that resists instruction is the been there, done that person. Come on, how many of you know a been there, done that person? They just wanna make sure that, that you know that they've been there and that they've done that.
Proverbs 8.2 says this, that fools have no interest in understanding. They only want to air their own opinions. In other words, they don't have a desire to listen to you. They just want to express their own opinion. This is the person that is that's waiting for you to stop talking so they can start talking. You know who I'm talking about? They haven't listened to a word that you've said while they were trying to offer you wisdom. Uh, they were just waiting. They were just counting the moments, calculating in their mind what they were going to say, waiting you for to stop talking and take a breath so the moment that you do, they can chime in and go, yep, been there, done that. I already know that. I've already figured that out. I've told Kristen, my wife, in the past that sometimes I don't know why we do premarital counseling here because a lot of them have already been there, done that. We'll try to counsel them, try to give them godly instruction. They'll be like, yeah, I've already got it figured out. And for some couples, I think we should do a, a year into their marriage. That's when we should do counseling, when there's finally a little bit of humility maybe to listen and understand that they haven't been there and that they haven't done that. So you can either learn by wisdom or you can learn by pain. The choice is yours. You're gonna end up learning one way or the other. Here's the third kind of person you don't wanna be. And that's the one upper. I say the one upper is a babbling fool. And here's what the Bible says in Proverbs 12, 15. Fools think their own way is right, but the wise, they listen to others. Fools think their way is right. Oh, you wanna give me wisdom? You wanna give me instruction? Well, I got something else for you. I got my way. That's the one upper. You don't wanna be this. You don't wanna be foolish. Why? Because what happens to fools? They fall flat on their faces. Listen to me, you don't wanna be foolish in your relationships because you want them to succeed. You don't wanna be foolish in your leadership or stewardship of the organization or the business God's put you over. You don't want that to fall flat on its face. You don't wanna fall flat on your face in your finances or in your marriage or in your parenting. right? You don't wanna fall flat on your face in those areas of your life where we need wisdom or even wisdom to ask for wisdom. So don't be any of those, don't be a know-it-all. Don't be the been there, done that. Don't be the one upper because they ain't got no friends. But what is it that we need to have then? What is the key to advancing to the other side? It's to have a teachable heart, a teachable spirit, to be teachable. And I wanna point out that I didn't say that you need more understanding or you need more knowledge. Like we have to have, wanna have a listening ear. We wanna have, have a teachable kind of spirit. Because here's the deal, a teachable spirit has a posture about it that says, I'm willing to learn from anywhere. A teachable spirit says, I can learn from a 20-something even though I have a few years on them. But maybe you know, there's something that they can teach me. So I'm not gonna shut my ears off to everybody because I can learn something from all kinds of different people. Are you with me? Might be some wisdom that God wants to give me through them. So I want to have a teachable spirit Spirit. I want to have a posture that goes, I don't know it all. I haven't been there and done it all. And so I need to learn some more. That I don't know everything there is to know about parenting, so I need to learn some more. I don't know everything there is to know about being a good friend, so I need to learn some more. I need to have a teachable spirit. Here's what Solomon said in Proverbs 1.5. Let the wise listen to these Proverbs and check it out, become even wiser. And let those with understanding receive guidance. In other words, what he's saying is, you don't ever arrive. 
You never reach some pinnacle in your understanding, some moment where you you all of a sudden have everything figured out. Well, when I'm retired, you know, then I'll know it all. Well, I find in my own life, the older I get, the less I know. And he says, if you are truly wise, then you still need to get wiser. If you have understanding, then you still need to receive more guidance. So we should be on this lifelong journey of growing. Can I tell you, it's the only way to get better on the other side, of getting wiser, of gaining understanding, of looking to people in our life and going, where can I get this wisdom from? What did Solomon say? Wisdom is supreme. Though it costs you everything, gain understanding. You can have all the knowledge in the world, you can have all the academic pursuits in the world, which I am all for, but at the same time not have any wisdom because knowledge is horizontal, wisdom is vertical. Wisdom is something that comes from God. In fact, the Hebrew word for wisdom means skill for living. And so it is this divine skill for living. And I don't know about you, but I have far too many responsibilities in my life to try to live this life without wisdom that comes from above. Anyone else? Like I need a divine skill for living in all the areas of my life. So what does this look like? What does it look like to be teachable? I wanna give you three things. I wanna make this really practical today. The first thing, if you're gonna be teachable, write this down, is you gotta be humble. A teachable spirit is a humble spirit. It takes humility to be teachable. Proverbs 11.2 says it like this, that pride leads to disgrace. And I think a lot of us probably know that to be true. But with humility comes wisdom. In other words, wisdom is best received in a heart that is postured in humility. James 4.6 says this, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the Humble. That word resists, by the way, in the original language, whenever it says God resists the proud, is a picture of like, like, like a stiff arm, like the, the Heisman Trophy winner, right? That's that picture that God himself is throwing out a stiff arm. My boys pretty much want to always wrestle with me. They always want to jump on my back. They're always trying to choke me out. It's why I'm going to have back problems early on in life. And so I'll put them in a headlock, or I'll put them in the, the anaconda squeeze. You know, they, they don't give up, by the way. They are relentless. There's something inside of them that doesn't want to die. I think God wired them that way. And, and it won't be this way forever that I can, you know, resist, resist them, but I can right now do the stiff arm thing, especially with my, my three-year-old Gray, right? His arms can't reach me, and so I can put my hand right on his forehead, and he's doing like the, the swinging thing at me. That's the idea, that God gives you a stiff arm when you're prideful, that he puts his hand on your head and no matter how much you try, if you have pride in your life, he will resist that pride. God will stiff arm the pride in your life. But it says he gives grace to the humble. So if you have a teachable spirit, you're gonna have a humble heart. Humility cuts to the core of one of our major issues in this life. And one of our greatest barriers to getting better on the other side, and that's pride. Because pride says, I don't wanna ask anyone for help. Pride says, I got this figured out. Pride says, I can do it myself. Pride says, I don't want to admit that I have a problem, that I know the answer to this. Pride will ultimately lead to disgrace. God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So someone who is teachable is humble. Here's the second thing they are, they're hungry. 
They're hungry for it. There's got to be this desire in you to move forward. You have to have this desire in you that wants to grow in your life. And I think it's a tragedy, by the way, if you get to the place in life where you're like, I don't wanna grow anymore. I don't wanna move forward anymore. In fact, I'll say this, I think it's really sad. I know it's meant to be a compliment, but whenever you don't see someone for a few years and then you finally see them and they look at you and they go, wow, you haven't changed a bit. Can I tell you something? That would put me in a depression. Because that means since the last time you saw me, there was no growth in my life. There was nothing different about me. There was nothing better about me. There was nothing that has gone to another level or increased in any area of my life. And I think one of the reasons we lose a desire to grow is because how many of you know growth can be painful? Solomon said this, as iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. I don't know if you've ever watched iron getting forged into a blade and getting sharpened. Like they start out by putting metal into a fire. And can I tell you, sometimes if you're going to grow in this life and become better on the other side, it starts with you getting in the fire. Then they would take a hammer and put it on an anvil and they would hammer this pliable molten metal to death and then they cool it off and then they stick it back in the fire and they do it over and over again until it would take the shape that they desired, then they would sharpen the blade until it was nice and sharp. As iron sharpens iron, as a hammer, as an iron hammer hits down on the iron of, of metal that has been heated, so a friend sharpens another friend. The idea is that if you're going to continue to grow, there's gonna be friction. It's gonna cause friction in your life. And because a lot of times we simply want comfort and we want ease, and we want everything to go our way, that whenever friction comes, we run from it. And we all of a sudden think, well, well, they're not my friend because they're calling something out of my life. They're not my friend because they're causing friction in my life. Can I tell you something? They may just be the very best friend that you have because what they're saying is there is more in you than what you're currently living up to. They're saying, I see more potential in you and I refuse to allow you to live below your potential, below all the who you can be in Christ. That's what it's talking about. So as iron sharpens iron. Again, that's why you gotta get into a small group. Get around people. Those of you that are in a watch party right now, I mean, you're doing this right. As iron sharpens iron, it will sharpen you. And let me just say this, iron can't sharpen iron unless it gets close, unless it gets all up in your business. But so many of us, we wanna live at a distance. Well, I don't want you to know the real me, so we put our masks on. I don't want you to see the, the real me. If you saw the real me, then you may try to call something greater out of me. And if you call something greater out of me, that's gonna cause friction in my life, and I don't want that sharpening. But can I tell you something? God wants you to be sharpened but you have to have a desire to grow. You gotta be hungry. And if I'm being honest, I think a lot of us, our blade has become dull. Now, how, how do you know that, PC? Because you're no longer able to cut through the issues in life anymore. You've lost your sharpness. Your blade right now is only good for butter and vegetables, which is useless too, by the way. Now, come on, you need a sharp knife in your life. You need to ha have a knife that can cut through steak, which is the only thing worth eating. God bless all you vegans. You stay a vegan. My supply has increased because of your sacrifice. You gotta stay hungry for it as iron sharpens iron. And yes, it will cause friction in your life. 
Here's the, here's the third thing. Someone who is teachable will welcome correction. Proverbs 12.1 says this, to learn, check it out, you must love discipline. So if you're gonna learn, you have to love to learn discipline, instruction, and this is the Bible, this is God's word, this isn't me. And then Solomon says, if you can't figure that out, let me make it plain, it's stupid to hate correction. That's what he says. And I don't think that this is our default setting. Our, our predetermined response in life is not that we wake up in the morning ready to welcome correction into our life, or we just wake up and go, you know, I'm just hoping that today someone will correct me. Nobody did that. Nobody woke up and said, you know, I, it would really make my day if when I got to work, my coworker would come over and make me aware of all the ways that I'm annoying, of all the things that need to be fixed in my life. That would just be awesome. I would love to hear that today. I think I would welcome that. Nobody does that. Like none of us woke up this morning, guys, and we're like, man, I just really hope my wife will give me a list of all the things that I could work on in my personal life. Right? I just hope she'll, she'll let me know that I handled the laundry wrong or I, I handled the dishes wrong. And, you know, I really want to spend my day today working through all those things internally and reflecting on how I can fold the towels better. Anybody out there? Like, I don't think that's our typical disposition. But if you're going to be teachable, you got to be pliable. And you got to be willing to welcome correction into your life. But don't confuse correction with condemnation. Condemnation, that comes from the enemy. Condemnation wants to push you away from God and point out all of your weaknesses in your life. Correction from God always wants you to be drawn closer and it calls you higher. Condemnation pushes you lower. Correction always calls you higher. God's trying to do something to make you better on the other side, to make you into who he's called you to be. The Bible says this in Hebrews 12, 6, that God corrects, right? It says he disciplines those whom he loves. Why does he do that? Because he sees a better you for you. He wants a better you for you. Let me ask all the parents that are watching right now, why do we correct our children? Because one day they're gonna be out of our house. I mean, that's the goal. And you want better for them in life. And because you know that if you don't correct some of those things in their life now, that they probably won't be able to keep a job later on. And you're afraid if they can't keep a job, then they'll move back in with you, right? So there's, there's another motivation going on there. But ultimately, it's because you want what's best for them. So you correct things. You call out attitudes. You call out certain actions. You take corrective measures in, your, in their life because you want that correction to stick and to develop wisdom in them because you love them. It's the same with God. God corrects those who he loves. And I would say, don't be concerned when God corrects you. Be concerned when he stops correcting you. Like when God stops correcting me in my own life, that's when I get concerned. Because you know what that means? It usually means my heart has become hard. Or it usually means um, there's some seed of pride in my life and God is resisting that seed in my life. So I have to realign with God and go, okay, God, give me a soft heart to hear your correction in my life. In fact, I've told our staff that if I stop correcting you, it probably means I'm done with you. Not done with you as a person, but I'm done with you being a part of this team because if you can't, if you can't grow in correction, then you can't go with us. 
And so when I'm done correcting you, it means that that correction is no longer having value in you, which means my voice is no longer valuable in your life, which means we can't go the distance together. And by the way, that's okay. Not everybody goes the distance with you, but correction is valuable. Correction is a gift. And I know we don't always see it that way, that it's a a gift, but it's making you better on the other side. It's drawing wisdom out of you. But like iron sharpening iron, it causes friction. And if you want comfort, then you won't have growth. You can't have both growth and comfortability at the same time. But if you're willing to experience a little discomfort, if you're bold enough, if you're courageous enough, then you can have growth in your life. A teachable heart welcomes correction. Look at Proverbs 13. It says, people who despise advice are asking for trouble. And those who respect a command, those will succeed. The instruction of the wise is like a life-giving fountain. I love that part. It's like a life-giving fountain. So let me just say this. If you are the one that's offering the instruction, that's offering the, the correction, or maybe you're hearing this message and you're thinking, I can't wait to get to the office this week because I'm gonna gather everybody around. I got some correction to offer. I heard a message yesterday and I want it to add value to your life starting with you, right? Like, or if you're listening to this message and you're making a list of all the things like, honey, I wanna go over a few things with you and apply the word of God today in our marriage. No, what did it say? It said the instruction of the wise is like a what? A life-giving fountain. Don't miss that. In other words, if you are offering the correction, it should feel like a life-giving fountain to the person on the receiving end. It's not meant to condemn. It's not meant to point your finger at them, but there should be something about it that when they get that correction that they go, you know what? I needed that. It didn't feel great in the moment, but I needed that. It doesn't mean it will be easy. It doesn't mean it will be awesome to hear but it will be like, I needed that to grow because someone cared enough to go, hey, this area of your life is tripping you up. So I'm gonna give you some wisdom and offer you some instruction and it should be like a life-giving fountain. And then what does it say after that? And those who accept it. So you have a choice, whether you accept it or not. Those who accept it avoid the snares of death. You have a choice Whether or not you go, okay, you're in a place of authority in my life, and I know you love the Lord, so I'm just gonna receive the correction that you give me. You have a choice on how you receive it, whether you accept it or whether you reject it. And something that Kristen and I see over and over again, we've sat people down, we've talked to people, we've we've given them counsel and, and godly wisdom in their life and said, listen, I think this really is the way that you need to go, this that that's not your next step, but this is the next best step for you, and they reject it. Can I tell you something? A lot of times, it hasn't ended well. Not because we got everything figured out or not because we put some voodoo over their life, but because in that moment we could see a bigger picture than what they were able to see when they were in the middle of it. And how many of you know you can't see everything that there is to see from your perspective? We all have some blind spots. That's why you need people in your life that have been down the road a little bit further than you that can offer you some wisdom. So how do I get it? How do I get this kind of wisdom? I'm gonna give you three things real quick and we'll, we'll wrap up a super quick application for this message. The first is this, you ask for it. 
Come on, it's that easy. This isn't rocket science. You simply ask God for it. James 1.5 says, if any of you need wisdom, ask our generous God. I love that, that he is a generous God and he will give it to you. So if you wanna be a person of wisdom, then simply ask God for it. And here's what I pray every day. God, your word says, if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask you and you'll give it to him. So today, God, I'm asking for wisdom. In fact, here's what I often ask for. God, give me wisdom that's beyond my years and beyond my experience. Because I need godly wisdom that's beyond my my years because I ain't that old yet. And I need wisdom that's beyond my experience. I need divine wisdom, a divine skill for living. And God is a promise maker, by the way, and a promise keeper. And in his word, his promises are yes and amen. So here's what I believe. If you get up every day and go, God, I need wisdom that's beyond my years and beyond my experience, you know what? You will walk in wisdom. You'll have it. You just have to ask God for it. Another great place to ask for it is godly people in your life. And can I tell you something? You don't get godly wisdom in ungodly places. You better make sure they are godly people in your life. Here's the second thing you gotta do, and that is to accept responsibility. And this is a big one. I'll show it to you in James chapter three. It says this, but the wisdom that is from above, so that's godly wisdom, it's a divine wisdom from above, is first of all, it's pure, it is peace-loving, it's gentle at all times, and willing to yield to others. It's full of mercy and the fruit of good deeds. It shows no favoritism, and it's always sincere. That's wisdom from above. And let me show you this. It said this. It is willing to yield to others. In other words, in this thing of gaining godly wisdom, this wisdom from above, it requires you to be willing. In other words, your will is a part of it. Your will is involved. You have a choice in it. God doesn't just open up your brain and pour wisdom into it. It doesn't work that way. I know when I was in high school, I would sometimes pray this prayer, God, could you please just open up my brain and pour math into it? And guess what? It didn't work. You know, like the prayer didn't cancel out the fact that I didn't do my homework, I didn't study for the test. No, there's a part of your will that has to be engaged. In other words, you have to accept responsibility for having wisdom in your life. And here's what it's not. It's not, well, if they would have told me to study, Or, well, if so-and-so said it was important for me to show up at work on time every day. No, you can't do that. You can't point fingers at everyone else in your life. Well, if my parents would have told me to do my laundry, I would have clothes. Or if my teacher, my, my professor, my boss, whoever it was, would have told me, no. You have to take personal responsibility to go, all right, I'm in charge of whatever it may be. I'm responsible for it, so I'm taking responsibility. I can't point to someone else. I can't point to my, my parents. You know, it's my responsibility. Or as parents, you know, I can't point to someone else. It's my responsibility to parent my kids. They're mine to invest in. They are mine to, to lead and to guide. Or, or, or growing in your faith with God, following the things of God, that's not up to anyone but you. So you've got to take personal responsibility. I'm going to ask God for wisdom. I'm going to seek wisdom from wise people. I think about it like this. I have a a wisdom portfolio, a wisdom contact list. I have people in my life that have done the parenting thing really well. They're pastors and leaders of great churches, and and their kids are out of the house. 
They're married, they're responsible, they love God, they serve God, they love the house of God. So that's who I go to, who Kristen and I go to for parenting. Or I have some people in my life that are very successful financially. They've been generous to the house of God. They've done it right with integrity and, and an open hand. They know investments, and so that's who we go to when we need financial wisdom. Are you with me? There are people in my life that have done the marriage thing really well, that are 40, 50 years into their marriage and haven't killed each other yet. In fact, they're having the time of their life. So that's my diversified portfolio of wisdom. And when I need wisdom in certain areas of my life, I tap into that because not everybody knows everything about everything. Listen, I know your mama is really smart, but she doesn't know everything about everything. But there are some people who really excel in certain areas where you wanna grow and develop in your life and you should find those people and tap into their wisdom. And here's the final thing I wanna give you and you have to apply it. Come on, you gotta apply what you have learned. See, I'm convinced that, that many people, most of us, we are educated beyond our level of actual application. I'll say it like this. You have more knowledge than you have obedience. None of this works. Wisdom won't work in your life if you won't apply it in your life. This is what James 1.22 says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, and check this out, deceiving yourselves. Like, why would it say that? Well, why would it say when you hear the word only and don't do anything about it, you are deceiving yourself? Here's why, because if you only hear the word and you don't do it, then you're deceiving yourself into thinking you're wise when you're not. In a Hebrew culture, they didn't understand this idea of having wisdom or, or belief in something apart from application and action in it. They were two sides of the same coin. So in other words, what you believe should determine how you behave and how you behave is a direct reflection of that which you believe. So here's how a conversation would go in ancient Hebrew culture. If someone came up to you and said, hey, do you believe that God heals, for example? And you were to say, well, absolutely. I believe that. I believe that God is a healing God. Their next question to you would be, who have you prayed for to be healed? And if you said no one, then they would say, you don't really believe. Because if you believe, then you would have prayed. You don't really believe, so I'm moving on because to them, belief and action went hand in hand. You couldn't have one without the other. Colby, why are you saying this? Because I don't want you to say you believe in something if you're refusing to act on it. It doesn't work that way. And so that's what James says. Don't just be hearers of the word. You gotta be doers of it. Don't just get information, but do something with it because if all you ever do is hear it and hear it and get more knowledge and knowledge and do nothing with it, you are deceiving yourself into thinking you're actually believing it. A teachable spirit applies what they learn. They do something with that information. So when someone says to you, hey, you need to make an adjustment in your marriage, then go make the adjustment. Because they're offering you wisdom. Don't go back and say, all right, well, you know, we'll consider that, we'll think about that. No, you do it, you apply what you've learned. When you seek out wisdom in your finances and someone tells you, hey, if you want your finances blessed, you've gotta give God your first and your best, his word says, to put him first. Like, 
Test him in this and see if he doesn't throw open the floodgates, right, and give you so much blessing. Don't walk away from that conversation and go, yeah, yeah, cool, 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 cool. I'll think about that. No, apply what God's word says. They're trying to give you wisdom because if not, you'll walk away knowing what to do but not doing it and therefore deceiving yourself. And when you have deceived yourself, let me just say that is a hard hole to get out of. So ask for it. Find some people. Accept responsibility in your life and then ultimately apply what you have learned. Because we live in a world today of information and misinformation and we need wisdom to get better on the other side. And in order to be wise, we have to be teachable. You can't get to the other side without it. You gotta be teachable. Why don't you just bow your heads right there wherever you are watching from. Maybe just ask God this. God, today, make me humble. God, today, make me hungry. God, today, make me bold enough to welcome correction in my life. Help me be pliable, God. As iron sharpens iron, even though it's gonna cause friction, it's not gonna feel good, it's not gonna be awesome in the moment, God, I know that it's sharpening me. And I need to be sharp to be able to manage what I'm up against in this world. We all need to be sharp in this season, God, to face all that we are faced with. So we ask you for wisdom. God, your word says we can have it, so pour it out. I'm asking that you would pour it out on everyone today who is watching online that's asking you, God, for that wisdom that you so generously give us. And God, we accept responsibility. We have a part to play in it. So give us courage to take that next step and then ultimately applying what we learned. We don't wanna be just hearers of your word today and not do anything with it, God. God, help us. We want to, we want to behave based on what we believe in all areas of our life. And while we're praying today, there might be those of you that you have, you have never crossed the line of faith. I think the wisest thing that you could do in this moment right now is to allow God, who sent his one and only son as a perfect sacrifice, to pay for your sins. Because you realize you're a sinner like we all are. The, the heart of the problem is a problem of the heart. And it could be the reason why you feel like time and time again you're, you're banging your head into a wall or time and time again you're, you can't get past some, some pattern in your life. Maybe because you've never surrendered it and allowed Jesus, his death on the cross, to pay for that sin once and for all. And that would be the best decision that you could ever make. In fact, I'll help you make that decision right now. If, if you like, I'll lead you in a prayer. The Bible says as we confess Jesus as Lord, with our mouth and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, that we would be saved. So let me help you do that wherever you are right now. Maybe just say something like this. Jesus, today, I confess you as Lord of my life. I repent for my sin. God, I don't wanna do this apart from you. And I know that Jesus died on the cross so that I could be set free. And so today, you are my Lord and you are my Savior. So God, fill me. Make me new, in Jesus' name, amen. 
Thanks for checking out this week's message on the Elevate Church podcast, and we hope you really enjoyed it. If you made a decision to follow Jesus, congratulations. Welcome to the family. We would love to know about it, so please let us know by going to elevatechurch.com slash yes. There will be some practical resources that will help you as you start this journey. If you want to support the mission and vision of Elevate Church to help people far from God reach their full potential in Christ, go to elevatechurch.com slash give. We'll see you soon. Have a great week.